Hey there, I'm Osman Faruqi, and this is The Culture, a weekly show about the latest in the world of pop culture, arts, entertainment, and the transformational power of TikTok. TikTok's ability to send particular songs or artists viral isn't new. Think about breakthrough acts like Olivia Rodrigo and Lil Nas X. But there's another part to this phenomenon that's a little bit less well understood, and that's the way that TikTok can catapult even established musicians into new audiences. Indie icon Mitski had already released five albums and received critical acclaim before her 2018 song Nobody blew up on TikTok last year. Thanks to the song's newfound viral popularity, Mitski, an artist who actually quit social media a few years ago because of the pressure she felt from fans in the media, is now bigger than ever. She's just released a new album this week. It's called Laurel Hell, and it explores her anxiety about making art under capitalism. Joining me to talk about Mitski's new album is the Saturday Papers music critic, Shard D'Souza. Hi. Shard, I was very excited to see that you had reviewed this album for the Saturday Paper. I actually didn't feel a desperate urge to chat about this record on the pod until I read your review. And I realised that talking about Mitski was actually a really interesting way to talk about a lot of things happening in music and art right now. That's interesting because I was kind of struggling for something to write about in my in that slot. And I kind of was like, I guess I'll write about Mitski. And now I'm really happy I did because the record's great and happy I did because we're, we're back. We're, we're back at it again in the new studio. The dream team in the new <laughs> studio. I'll, I'll just say firstly, before we get into the conversation, if you're listening and you notice something different with my voice, I'm not ill. We're recording this chat just after the uh, final weekend of the Australian Open, and I'm a little bit hoarse after cheering for Ash Barty and, and Nick Kyrgios and Thanasi Kokonakis and Rafa, of course. But we aren't here to talk about the tennis. We're here to talk about Mitski. Uh, I actually saw Mitski a few years ago when she last toured Australia. It was a really, really fun, really interesting gig. Uh, the, she was playing much smaller shows than I think she would be now, playing the uh, Oxford Arts Factory in Sydney and the Corner Hotel here in Melbourne. It it feels like in a couple of years since then, she's obviously blown up. She's reached this new stratospheric level of popularity. She's opening for Harry Styles on his UK tour this year, <laughs> much bigger venues, I imagine, than than Oxford Arts or, or the Corner Hotel. Uh, but it feels like this moment for her has been a long time coming. Tell me a bit about Mitski and her journey so far. So Mitski, real name Mitski Miyawaki, she kind of started releasing music when she was in music school in the early 2010s. Um, she studied studio composition She's a pianist by training, and yeah, she she kind of like had plans to study all these other things, but felt this calling to music, and so decided to pursue that. So in the early 2010s, she releases these two albums. The first one's called Lush, released in 2012, and then the second one, a couple of years later, is called Retired from Sad, New Career in Business, which kind of 
tells you a lot about her sense of humour, which I think is one of the main tenets of her music and why she's become so popular. Mm. So she releases these records. They're very music school. They're very, like, Baroque, mannered. They're a little bit like early St. Vincent records. Mm. Um, and they're all, she wrote all the songs on piano. It's interesting because, like, they, they actually tell you a lot about Mitski's last two records, which are Laurel Hell, which we'll be talking about today, and Be the Cowboy, which was kind of her, her breakout breakout. Like, in indie music, it often seems like there's, like, one breakout and then next thing you know, mm. there's, like, an even bigger breakout, mm. which is definitely what happened with her. And it's not just her music that people really fell in love with. She was also known for her approach to social media. At the same time she was starting to become more critically acclaimed for her music, she, she'd also become a kind of internet personality, right? It's really interesting. So, so basically she releases Puberty 2 on Dead Oceans. It's a big success comparatively, like from, for someone who came from kind of like DIY scenes or someone who, whose early music was quite small, you know, like... It was a big breakout fourth record. And at the same time as she's becoming this, like, indie micro-celebrity, her Twitter is also blowing up. Her Twitter is, like, at Mitski Leaks, and she's, like, really funny. And she's, like, one of those indie musicians who, like, is always going viral, like, equivalent to, like, Phoebe Bridges or Perfume Genius now. Mm. And so in tandem with her music becoming more popular, you have her Twitter personality becoming, like, almost its own thing. Not entirely, because obviously she would tweet about music all the time as well but like yeah the the thing about Mitski's lyrics are like I think she's a really incredible lyricist and she's so smart and a lot of that intelligence comes through in these like deeply nihilistic like incredibly almost like violent jokes and it's it's never like grotesque or anything but like she a lot of the kind of like tension in her music comes from this like intersection between like almost like fantastical romance and there's a lyric in this song Towny that I can't remember exactly what it is but it's like I want a love that's like falling off a balcony and hitting the mm. ground or something mm. and like that's the hook of the song and so then she is like taking the break and then when she comes back for Be the Cowboy which is the album that she released after Puberty 2 suddenly she's like even bigger than she was mm. at the end of the Puberty 2 cycle because like people have found her music online she's toured heaps she's she's a real like workhorse when it comes to touring she tours constantly or she did um, and it was all kind of like slow steady building up to like Be the Cowboy which mm. is like it's no longer really indie rock. It's like mm. indie pop. <laughs> and the audience for that, I feel like, is potentially much bigger than just the indie rock audience. Yeah, and and that, and that's the interesting thing about those two middle Mitski records is that if you discover her on those two records, as I did, and I kind of never listened to those first two albums because I kind of heard they weren't that good, Yeah, but I kind of assumed that they were crunchy indie records and actually they're just not and so if you come to Mitski at this like middle point in her career you're like oh okay she's like an indie punky musician when actually her sensibility has kind of always been this quite showy almost like theatrical pop music There's just something about her music that feels very intimate and it feels so 
funny and devastating that it can really feel like she's, like, talking to you or like it's confessional. And so, obviously, it's a perfect storm for, like, people think they know her. Mm. Yeah, and so her gambit of, I'm going to write fiction so people don't think they are entitled to me anymore, it kind of didn't exactly pay off. And Mm. it's just this huge, massive, like, indie success, like, the kind of giant, giant indie album that, like, equivalent to, like, the last Phoebe Bridges album, if that means anything to anyone, or, like, you know, maybe, like, that second Bonnevere album, like, it's just massive. And... She has always seemed like the kind of artist who, even though she works really hard and, like you said, tours, hasn't crafted her persona or career around wanting to be a superstar necessarily. So I can sort of see how her approach to both writing music very personally and intimately and then acting in a similar way on social media, you're not thinking that these tweets or these songs will be consumed by tens of millions of people, but then all of a sudden they are. And then you're thrust into this sort of situation where you're having to, like, answer questions about your life to, you know, international media. And she's talked a lot about how much she hates doing press tours and she hates that, as you put it, that kind of sense of entitlement that people have when you're an artist and you put something out there or you tweet something, all of a sudden that now exists in the public domain. And anyone at any time can ask you about that. And it's such an interesting tension because, yeah, like you're making art for public consumption. So there is an element of that now does exist. It's out of your control and people do with it what they want. But it also, I think it's it's coming at a time where so many artists, and I think someone like Taylor Swift is the the most obvious example of this, where they do cultivate a sense of, I'm writing real stories. You need to figure out the pieces and then like create a whole ecosystem around that. And I think a lot of listeners to music are trained to expect that or to want that. And that seems to be not what Mitski is doing at all, but that is the cultural space that she sort of ends up in when she's releasing her music. Yeah, I mean, actually, it's interesting you bring up Taylor because Taylor is someone I see as a perfect example of like she cultivated this like expectation and is now pulling back from it because I think she, like Mitski, feels extremely overexposed. But then you see the kind of natural endpoint of that in, like, we kind of talked about it when we talked about Olivia Rodrigo and Billie Eilish and stuff, is, like, pop music is now all, like, just obsessed with, like, intense subjectivity. Mm. Um, And so, like, no one can write just, like, a love song anymore. It has to be, like a love song about how your ex-boyfriend is an actor and, like, (laughs) actors do this or whatever. But anyway, Mitski is not, yeah, Mitski is not part of that economy, but people treated her as if she was, which has caused this deep tension in her career that all kind of, like, is addressed on Laurel Hill, basically. So the deep irony of all of this is Mitski gets a little bit frustrated with the attention, the focus, the expectation, announces that she's taking an indefinite hiatus from from music and from touring and from social media, which is so interesting because, as you put, she had developed this kind of online persona and people really enjoyed interacting with her and seeing her content online. But the irony is that despite taking that decision to withdraw from the public eye, she's probably become even more phenomenally popular in the last two years thanks to largely to social media, the song Nobody, which really landed in 2018. And you thought, okay, cool, that's the 2018 Mitski uh, phenomenon. Uh, last year on, on TikTok, it became enormous. Uh, it sort of soundtracked a meme that I don't necessarily love. Like, I like the song, I don't love the meme, just people kind of running away. It just, there's not a lot of coherence to it, and it's not even a great use of the song, I think. No, it's not. So basically, like, she is doing the tour for Be The Cowboy, 
She's just on a run of dates with Lord, supporting Lord's melodrama tour. She is, like, um, really feeling the kind of, like, stress of it all. People are kind of, like, spreading rumours about her online that could be damaging, but which she is kind of being, like, this is so stupid and crazy, whatever, blah, blah. I feel that, Mitski. Yeah, and she says, like, look, I'm taking an indefinite break from music. This is on the last show of her Be the Cowboy tour, and she's like, I'm stopping, I'm peacing out. Okay, bye. And then it just keeps going and keeps growing. Like, Be the Cowboy keeps finding listeners. People become obsessed with her and the songs and like she has this very like cultish fan base but it's huge Mm. um and then that kind of like just skyrockets yeah last year when this tiktok trend starts and it's like so the format is basically um i like it when someone else has to explain (laughs) explain a meme yeah Yeah, well all tiktoks basically are just like stupid garbage to me like i think they're (laughs) all really annoying and bad and i think they're not funny most of them and some of them i think are funny but anyway so so the caption will be something like when a guy is talking to you at a bar and he asks for your Snapchat or something. And so then it's a video, that's the caption, and then the video is, like, of the person and they're, like, walking and then they're, like, looking backward and start, like, running away and maybe they'll, like, fall over comically or whatever. And all the while it's just Mitski singing Nobody, Nobody, Nobody on a loop. I don't, like, yeah, I think it's, like kind of funny but mostly much like you I find it to be a waste of the song because I think you could make like probably some really good TikToks to the song totally and like I'm not even clear why this song I mean like a lot of TikToks someone just does something and then everyone else imitates it yeah the song doesn't seem that linked to like the specific format of this yeah Am yeah. I missing something? Um, well, I mean, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not the best person <laughs> to ask because I, like, if I want to look at, like, a TikTok of something, I have to, like, type into Google, like, Mitski nobody TikTok or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I'm not even going to get into it. I don't want to talk about the, this. Well, the, <laughs> that's why you're my favorite Gen Z. You know, I'm the one having to explain the TikTok stuff to you. Makes me feel young. <laughs> yeah, um, well. I mean, but look, it did. I mean, just to give you an example, like Ed Sheeran did a TikTok that was using this format. Jimmy Fallon did. Like it became enormously popular and obviously that exposed her music to so many more people. And we've talked about this before on the show, uh, TikTok as a as a tool in which people discover music now as a part of Discovery's, you know, fundamental. And a lot of artists, you know, Olivia Rodrigo is maybe – the most explicit about like, oh, yeah, I write songs and I write lines in songs because I want people to use that to do a particular TikTok thing. Mitski hasn't done that. It's just been adapted in that way. And I was talking to uh, someone in the music industry a few days ago and they were sharing how sales and pre-sales for like Mitski shows and things that she's associated with just started going through the roof. When, when the TikTok phenomenon occurred uh, because people were like, oh, this is a fun song. I'm going to listen to it on Spotify. I'm going to stream her album. This is cool. I'm going to start buying tickets to her shows. It's a really interesting, like, real-world, real-time example of what, like, a bizarre meme that Jimmy Fallon makes on TikTok can do to a musician's career. Yeah, it's wild. Like, TikTok can just make songs massive. And, like, 
this song has to be at least a little bit good, mm-hmm. um, which is the kind of like, yeah, I mean, people are like, oh, this song can go viral on TikTok and it'll become a hit. And it's like, well, no, like to go viral, like there are like TikTok consultants now, actually, which I think is really funny. And you often get like press emails where they're like, this song is going crazy. And like we've hired a TikTok consultant to like make it go even more crazy or whatever. But like, yeah, the song has to be good. And I think that like, even though it's such a tiny snippet of nobody, like it's so different to what you hear on TikTok. Like mm. it is so much less like synthetic and it's so like... All those kind of, like, music school affectations that she has, like, the way she sings the word nobody, like, I think that is what kind of part of what makes it so compelling instead of just, like, everything else on TikTok is, like, EDM remixes of, like, 20-year-old songs. <laughs> totally. Um, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm led to understand, like, n- not having the app myself. But anyway, um, yeah, so nobody just becomes this huge thing. And the void at the center of it all is the fact that Mitski has, like, not said a thing yeah. for, like, three years, yeah. which is, like, truly amazing. Like, a lot of people, like, take hiatuses. And, look, I want to stress, like, it's kind of funny. Like, Mitski's hiatus is not that long. Like, it's been, like, eight years since Guy Ferrer released an album or whatever. Yeah. Like, you know, people do take longer hiatuses, but, like, I think it's rare for someone on such an exponential rise to just be silent suddenly and like all while Mitski is like more famous than she's ever been she's just not a peak like so silent we're gonna take a break and we'll be right back so Shad Mitski's new album Laurel Hell is landing at this moment where She's paradoxically more famous but also more silent than than ever before. And fittingly, the the album doesn't really seem to engage with her fame or her place in the discourse right now. In fact, it feels like a rejection of the entire music industry and and the way she feels like she's forced to relate to it. It's at times a pretty grim statement, but there's also these flashes of really upbeat, poppy tracks. There's this duality and, and the seriousness of some of those themes she writes about, like it's really this treatise on capitalism and music, made it a really compelling listen for me. How did you feel about the album? Yeah, so I actually, surprisingly, okay, so like I loved like Bury Me and Make Our Creek and Puberty 2. Be the Cowboy I liked, but it's never like stuck with me. And I thought it was kind of a bit too mannered and a bit too produced and like maybe just not my thing. And I kind of got fatigued, like, like Mitski herself. I was kind of, like, sick of, like, capital M Mitski, like, mm. you know, like Mitski in the public eye because it's just, like, if you go on Twitter at certain points, it'll just be, like, people talking nonstop about, like, Mitski's my god. Like, I want Mitski to, like, spit in my mouth, like, that kind of thing. And I'm just like, okay, I get it. Like, she's great. <laughs> but, like, it's the same with, like, Phoebe Bridges or whatever. I'm, like combination of like stan culture with like indie music Mm. i think kind of because of this whole mitski thing where she was literally basically driven into hiding i think it just freaks me out a little yeah gotcha uh yeah so then i when i listened to laurel hell i was kind of blown away like i think it's so beautifully produced i think it's like really incredibly written i think her lyrics are sharper than ever it's not necessarily as funny as she once was but it's it, it's, like, really wise and really, I think, like, rich in, like, a totally different way. And 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely maybe my favorite record of hers. I mean, I, I still really love Puberty 2. It's interesting because I, I totally agree with you. It's like the sound is a total rejection of this idea that, like, she could be a pop star. Because, like, she'll be playing to, like, giant theaters, and I think she could play to, like, arenas in the States, like, ten to 15,000. But this is, like, not that album. Mm. And it's, like, very meditative, droney at times. And, like, there are these huge, like, pop songs, but they're still really dark, like, the whole album. Exactly, yeah. Some yeah. of the sound, it's like, oh, this sounds like something that I could, like, really want to get and dance to and have a really great time to at, like, a stadium. But then as soon as you start listening to it, like, this, okay, this is doesn't feel right for me to feel this joyous. Mm. I mean, it's quite interesting, right? Mitski didn't necessarily want to release a record. She had to because the label, like in her contract, she required one more album. This album is the product of a contractual obligation, which makes it all the more interesting that it's actually really good. I read that in an interview she said that, you know, she'd recorded and written a lot of these songs and then spent like a year mixing some of them. So I think that it's interesting you picking up on the fact that like the the the, the kind of sound or the production on some tracks I feel like was experimented on and she was playing with different and maybe had written and recorded and then completely changed like what the music of that track was. And I like this thematic consistency that is a bit dark. It's a little bit introspective, uh, very introspective. You wrote in your review that the hardest hitting songs are all about work, about the grind, about the sheer exhaustion of having to make money at all. And that is like consistent throughout. But then you hear some songs and it almost tricks you because they are more upbeat and they're, and they're kind of more fun sounding. And I wonder what you make of those and that contrast and thinking like there's a couple of very synthy, poppy tracks, Stay Soft and, and Love Me More. How, how did you find those? I really love those songs. Love Me More kind of less so, I think. So there are these three giant moments on the album. So there's the only heartbreaker... Love Me More and Stay Soft. Um, And maybe there's, like, one or two others, but, like, those three have really stood out to me as kind of, like, these giant pop moments. But they are all really kind of, like, dark and, like, there's this vibe to them that has not necessarily been on on moments like this in Mitski albums before. Mm. And something like Love Me More is so interesting because it is, like, quote-unquote, a love song, but it is about this kind of, like, chaotic, dangerous drive she feels towards performing. Because she's singing about being on stage, she just needs, like, more attention, more everything, but it does feel kind of like being on the edge of something distressing. And I guess that is the crux of a lot of what it seems like she has been kind of struggling with in her time of being a recluse. Like, she's only done a couple of interviews, but... I thought they were kind of some of the most revealing. She's been very private for context. Like, hmm. she's rarely said anything about herself or her personal life. And and she still is. Like, she refused to tell any interviewers the name of her cat because she was scared that people could find, like, 
a photo that one of her friends had posted of the cat and then link that to Mitski and find out where she lived, which is actually so depressing and, and sad that she has to consider those things. And it's a totally valid fear. Like, that, yeah. you know, a few years ago you said that to people. It's like, no way, but people do that now and she knows that and she's being smart and protective. Exactly. And then you've got Stay Soft, which is, uses all these, like, horror illusions to talk about sex and, like, trauma like, yeah, I think her writing is, like, as strong as it's ever been on the whole album, both in terms of music and lyrics. But my, my favourite song on the album is Working for the Knife, which is the first song she released. And I did not connect with that song, like, last year when it came out. And now I just, like think it's so incredible and like obviously I don't know but in my head this is one of those songs that is potentially has potentially been reverse engineered right because it's as catchy and kind of like as anthemic as any of the big songs on the album but instead of like synths or like a big like you know anthemic chorus or whatever it's just this constant like clatter and like this really percussive like weird like metallic thing that almost like drowns her out and she's just singing about how depressed she is making music Mm. um for money it's almost like a flex like it's not because it's Mitski but it's almost like a flex like she's being like my first big single back after like three years of total silence it's gonna be this like droning non-song about how much I fucking hate the fact that I have to release this single um, and, and like, yeah, as the more I listen to it, the more it kind of, like, grabs onto me. Like, the more I just have to listen to it. I feel like you and I, we either have exactly the same views or we have the complete opposite views. And I think this album is the one that I think we've um, got a lot of overlap on. It's my favourite track as well. And I loved the way that you described – you kind of described the whole album with this sentence, but to me it really speaks to that track in particular. Mitski is the product of the conveyor belt as well as the worker boxing it up for consumption. And you get that sense. It's not just it's not just the stories that she's telling. It's the way that she's creating the sound and the way that you feel listening to it that makes it so compelling and interesting. We'll be back after this break. It's not a long album, and I think this is what makes it interesting. It's 11 tracks, and they're mainly two to three minutes long. And so you get these contrasts very, very quickly. Mm. And so you never kind of are in a spot long enough to, like, completely get into a particular mood and then feel shaken. You just lean into the fact that, like, this is kind of zipping about a bit. And I find that, like, really refreshing. And I love the unexpectedness Mm. of that. The only heartbreaker is written – it's the only track that has a co-writer, a guy called Dan Wilson from Semisonic, who have the iconic song Closing Time, which Dan Wilson wrote. Which I do not know. (laughs) You don't know. You don't know Closing Time by Semisonic. No. (laughs) I don't explain it. Describe it to me. Describe the context to me. Closing time is a song. I don't even. I just thought it was a song that everyone knows. It's just like I, there's a chance I just know it and I just don't know it by the name. Should we play the song and see yeah, if you know yeah, it? Yeah, play the song. Closing time. Time for you. Nothing. No, no, I don't know it. So it turns out Dan Wilson, whose name I hadn't heard or a band I hadn't thought of in a long time, he's actually like a writer now. His credits in the last 
year, Leon Bridges, Taylor Swift, Tom Morello, Amy Shark. Yeah, I think I think that list is like why I don't. Why I, just, <laughs> I just have no like. Wait, which um, which Taylor Swift song did he co-write? He co-wrote "Treacherous" and "Come Back Be Here" Taylor's version. <laughs> "Treacherous" is my favorite Taylor Swift song. And you like and you like the song that he wrote on the the Mitski album as well. I do, I do. It, I it, think you are low key like a Dan Wilson no, stand. Yeah, yeah, actually, it turns out I stand Dan Wilson. <laughs> Who would have thought? Whoever this man is. Who? Yeah, get this man a Grammy. <laughs> and he's got two Grammy nominations actually okay. for his writing. So you Good. know he's he's Good. he's worthwhile. Well, um, yeah, famously, oh, yeah. <laughs> didn't win the Grammy for Red. Famously, <laughs> <laughs> we took look. We took a little bit of a sideways chat, but it was very fun to. Um, Expose you to some music for one. I feel like I learned a lot about music. From I you, think so. it happened um, on the Olivia Rodrigo episode as well. Actually, you showed me some song. <laughs> I don't even remember what it was. I remember this same thing happening. So thank you again. We should just have a you know like in one of those YouTube reacts like so and so hears like you know Abba for the first time and they just like lose their minds. That'd be a fun series. Well, I was actually thinking. Um, so Tara Kenny's in town, and yeah. I was thinking you should do kind of like a panel style break from format where we just kind of like chat. About That's actually stuff. very funny because I had dinner with Tara Kenny, and she said that you mean Shard should get together and just <laughs> yeah, it's happening. All right, we're teasing it this. Is. Yeah, we are teasing this. Um, fans of the pod will remember Tara from a few chats we've had about TV, but now we're cooking up something fun. So mm. let's do it. Um, Back to Miski. So talking about this kind of like contrast between those kind of heavier songs and. Love songs, the upbeat songs, Love Me More, The Only Heartbreaker. You said that these moments can feel like a little bit dizzying, and that's how I felt as well. And then I just kind of like closed my eyes and leant into it, and I liked it. Um, You said it feels intentional that, you know, maybe pop stardom is like a goal and she's signifying towards it, but maybe she's kind of caught off guard by it herself, that she doesn't quite know yet what she wants to do, or is she just sort of flexing and saying, I can do pop? But I don't want to. I want to talk about serious stuff about how capitalism is destroying <laughs> the process of making art. I mean, I think the interesting thing about Mitski is that, like, like I get the sense that she'd be the first to say that these songs aren't necessarily about, like, capitalism destroying art as much as they are about capitalism, like, destroying her her love of of making music or whatever. I don't know. She herself is very serious. Hmm. And it can be weird reading interviews with her because she can seem very, very devastatingly serious in a way that I think I've seen a lot of criticism of of that kind of persona online. But I don't think her music is self-serious. And I think that still comes through on this album, even though it is not necessarily as funny as she once was. It's hard to say what is is going on with these pop moments cuz cuz like as you say my reading of it is kind of that like she's using them to kind of like create the effect of like stress of like being at those highs mm. and then she's contrasting that with like the the lows that come with it as well but it's interesting because i can totally imagine that kind of like where she is slightly less capable lyricist and was and say her like lyrics were a little more shallow I might just think that the album felt really uneven Mm. but I think it kind of does speak to like where she's at as a songwriter like she's been doing this like 15 years or something but yeah I mean it'll be interesting to see where she goes next because I can totally imagine a world in which either she a starts releasing music completely independently so she doesn't have to do 
press or anything like that. B, she signs with a major label um, and kind of, like, just does become, like, a massive mm. star. Like, you know, we see that a lot. Like, Grimes just signed to Columbia after being, like, kind of, like, going from, like, true DIY Montreal. Like, she she was on Arbutus Records, which is this tiny label, and now is suddenly on Columbia, which is owned by Sony, which is, yeah, one of the biggest labels in the world. Or maybe she'll just quit entirely, you know. So it's pretty amazing that each of those options is as likely as the other. I know, isn't it so interesting? Like, I'm sure. I mean, maybe there's another Dead Oceans album in her contract. I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. This is kind of an aside, but like when she signed to Dead Oceans, it was kind of like the younger sibling to Jag Jaguar and, and secretly Canadian. And now, like, in part because of her success, it's like pretty much the biggest label in that group because they also have Japanese Breakfast, who was just nominated mm. for a Grammy. And Phoebe Bridges, who is, like, basically the biggest indie artist in the world right now. So, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what she does next. And I think, if anything, that will contextualize this album as well. But she is kind of cryptic and she is kind of a recluse. And, like, even when she does interviews, she doesn't reveal much, which I think is also, like, you know, I think it's really easy to get, like, really bored of someone's persona or, like, use their kind of, like, media as a way to explain or kind of, like, uplift their art. And I think Mitski is one of those people where it's kind of like, what you see is what you get. Like, this is a great album. She made a great album. And, like, it's up to us to decode the rest, which, like, sounds so stupid. Like, that's the truth of all art. But, like, I think a lot of the time lately, you know, someone's personality can really help hide a few cracks or whatever. Mm. And this album, I listen to it and I'm like... I was kind of ready to dislike it because I dislike Be the Cowboy, but I, I don't know. I, sorry, I kind of went on a, no, no, on no, a that's weird actually, tangent there. <laughs> that actually uh, is, is a kind of a great summary of it all because I think not only did I, like I've said a bunch of times, really enjoy the album, but then I think going out and, and trying to find, you know, an album's about to drop. Artists do interviews. They travel. They do things. She hasn't done very many, and the few long interviews or profiles she has done are very wacky. You know, there's one with New York Magazine where she – was going spelunking at her <laughs> suggestion. And then the label was like, you're about to tour. We can't risk you, like, hurting yourself. And they just went on a tour with a bunch of school kids in a, in a cave system. And then the fact that unlike so much music and so much music media and, and so much context around albums right now, she hasn't given us clues. She's just released this record. On one hand, it's very explicit, her thoughts on society and working and grinding away and what that... It's done to her relationship and her love of, of music and art. On the other hand, there's lots of bits and pieces about love that you don't know whether they're fictional. And I found that really refreshing at this particular moment. And then I think, you know, the TikTok phenomenon of it as well. It's just a really interesting album to talk about as well as being a really fun one to listen to. And I think, unlike a lot of albums, I think that we spoke about last year that I listened to, and even if I like some of them, I kind of had a feeling that I wouldn't go back to it. It was kind of interesting to talk about in the moment. But I think this is a really interesting album that I will be playing for a little while. Shard, thank you for talking about it with me. Thank you. I had so much fun. You can read Shard's review on the SaturdayPaper.com. You'll be back with me and Tara Kenny. We'll find something to talk yeah, about. Anything, anything. The Culture is a weekly show from Schwartz Media. It's produced by Rebecca Metcalf and Atticus Basto. Our editor-in-chief is Eric Jensen, and our theme music is by Hermitude. 
I'm Osman Faruqi. See you next week.